Welcome back to the Dynasty Grind. This week we're going to do my too long didn't read report or an overview of it at least. I'm publishing on Patreon and on DLF. We're going to talk specifically about which are the best running backs to target right now that should do better later. If Tank Dell is real, which tight end roles are growing and which rookie wide receivers or sophomore wide receivers are going to do better by the end of the season. With that said, let's get into it after a word from Ticketmaster. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets... Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash NFL. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and there's a at once. So welcome back to the Dynasty Grind. Like I've said before, all my data, my too long didn't read tables, breaking down volume and who's over and underperforming their volume, who's growing, who's shrinking. And who is due more touchdowns based on the volume they're having, the regression trends, can all be found in my weekly database, which is pinned to my Patreon timeline, it's pinned to my Twitter timeline, and it's free to go look and sort through the tables yourself. So if you're interested in anything I say or anything I don't say, feel free to check that information out. But let's start with Arizona. Last week, I called a bounce back in the rushing game on a somewhat mediocre team, and James Conner paid that bet finishing as running back six last week. This week, I'm going to highlight Zach Ertz. His 2.6 PPR points last week weren't rewarding, even as a deeper streamer, but he still has top 12 volume for the position and weighted opportunity, and picked up another target inside the 20-yard line this week. So he's due, quote-unquote, touchdowns if the usage keeps up. But will it? Since week one, his route percentage has dropped from 20% to 16% in week three. His snap share has fallen from 77% to 59%, and his yards per hour run has been, a, has been dismal. Outside of week two, where he had a 2.6 yards per route run. Mostly, in the other weeks, he's coming in below one yards per route run. On the other hand, Trey McBride has increased in volume, though not a lot. His route percentage went from 6% in week 1 to 8% in week 3, and his snap share went from 37% in week 1 to 49% in week 3. If he's taking over, quote-unquote, it's a very slow burn, but right now it's kind of trending in that direction. Most players break out all at once, but some are slower. That doesn't speak to their ultimate potential. But it does mean we should remain cautiously optimistic while having reasonable expectations for players' ceilings. On a side note, Rondell Moore had a good week, which I personally enjoyed a lot. I still think he's a very talented player, stuck in a less than great hybrid role like so many lower radar players these days. His target share should be higher based on his overall routes, but Michael Wilson, the rookie, is actually putting up some fierce competition with 18% of the team's routes. Both are still worth holding on benches, but so far neither looks startable. In Atlanta, Bajorn Robinson is still the only viable weekly option unless forced. At some point, we'll have to talk about a buy-low window for Kyle Pitts and Drake London again, but I can't face up to having the same conversation every week just yet. In the meantime, London's touchdowns did regress this week, and Kyle Pitts dropped in route percentage, but he still had 20% of the routes and leads the team this season with 22% overall. Jonah Smith didn't take 
quote-unquote, those routes. And despite a high yards per route run so far in 2023, he also lost 5% of his routes this week in a pretty bad game. I don't think Smith has any long-term value, either as a starter or as just a dynasty asset, to be honest. Bijan Robinson, while splitting the red zone work still with Tyler Algier, is still the only player trending upwards in terms of snap percentage, and is already the running back 11 on the season in points per game. Algier is trending down in snap share, and Robinson had a season-high 50% of the rushing attempts last week, 81% of the snaps this week as well. Robinson's target share on the season, 19%, is phenomenal, and it remains so this week, but it did come more back down to earth at 15%. Robinson is the only clear weekly starter for every team in Dynasty or Fantasy uh, right now. Buffalo, Don Kincaid is moving in the right direction. He saw a season-low snap share last week, 51%, and his round percentage dropped as well to 14%. However, so did Dawson Knox's. In what was likely a matchup factor, since Washington have allowed bottom five points to the position and last season, but uh, both this season and last season. Broadly, he's splitting the work with Knox, but that's still a positive for a rookie who over time is much more likely to increase in role than an established player like Knox. In Baltimore, Gus Edwards did okay, but Zay Flowers should do better. While Zay Flowers' ADOT is a concern, his volume isn't. Two weeks with an ADOT of 2.8 and one slightly above 10 isn't ideal, but his ramp percentage over that time is still 20% and has 31% of the team's red zone touches for when they can put up more than 19 points like last week. They're facing Cleveland this week, who has allowed the league low points to the position so far in 2023. Flowers is still a starting option for most teams, but we may have to curb our expectations for at least another week. Of course, when Lamar Jackson can put up over 100 rushing yards and two touchdowns any week, the lead running back is always a little hamstrung. But Gus Edwards is a deep option in that backfield, and at least as long as this backfield maintains this structure. He had a season-high 29% of the rushing attempts last week, and Melvin Gordon split the work and did get 6.7% of the targets in terms of the target share. So I'm not sure this backfield is set yet, but Gus Edwards is borderline flexible and so is Melvin Gordon in desperation. In Carolina, I defamed Adam Thielen and Andy Dalton came back to the league last week to prove me wrong. I put the majority of Carolina's struggles on the shoulders of the receiving corps, only to have Andy Dalton put together a top 10 performance at the position and allow and help Adam Thielen to the wide receiver three overall in week three. Whoops. Uh, I wouldn't bet on this being a regular event, however. Seahawks have allowed the second most points to the wide receiver position this year, so matchup likely played a role. Then again, DJ Chark did finish as a wide receiver 15 last week, so maybe Young should do better this season before it ends, at least when he returns from his hopefully brief injury. In Chicago, my only note is, did you sell Justin Fields yet? Did you? In Cincinnati, Jamal Chase is a wide receiver 5 without touchdowns. T. Higgins should have more regularly startable weeks going forward, but the thing that sticks out to me the most is that Jamal Chase is one of the highest scoring wide receivers overall for the season at the position without scoring a single touchdown. He has 35% of the team's red zone touches as well, so if Joe Burrow can get his groove back, this should mark the low point for Chase and Higgins in 2023. The first two weeks were borderline, barely usable even for Chase, for fantasy, but ceiling matters in a weekly game, and there should be more to come. In Cleveland, there's more upside in Amari Cooper, I think. 
I'm not in the habit of thinking players seed volume to one another, but right now Cleveland has three wide receivers splitting over 20% of the routes per game. And while Amari Cooper is a lead fantasy asset here, I think over time Donovan Peoples-Jones should become less involved, perhaps leading to Amari Cooper's top 12 volume to be more top 12-like in terms of fantasy points. Cooper had a season-high snap share, 82%, and route share, 22% in week three. I think that trend continues. Elijah Moore has top 24 volume, and I think this leads to higher producing weeks for Cleveland moving forward. Deshaun Watson has finished inside the top 12, but he's doing fairly badly in expected points added per opportunity, and has been somewhat lackluster despite those two top 12 finishes in fantasy. But hopefully it should get better. Kareem Hunt quickly made Pierre Strong the third wheel in the running back room, taking 9% of the target share. Strong hit just 0% with Kareem Hunt on the team. The majority of the work stayed with Jerome Ford, however, who had the same level of target share, but with 32% of the rushing attempts. Hunt had 16% of the rushing attempts. That dual role for Ford could lead to a lot of startable weeks moving forward, though I'm not entirely sure yet that Hunt can't take control of more of these touches. In Dallas, all the red zone attempts, not a lot to show for it. Dallas leads the league in targets and rushing attempts inside the 20-yard line in 2023, but most of the team, from Tony Pollard to Jake Ferguson, is underperforming on those touches. It might be easy to blame Dak Prescott for this, however, I think it's also, you know, true that he's part of the reason they get into the red zone so often. On balance, my main takeaway is that over time, this is going to result in a lot more touchdowns. There's not a lot to separate out Michael Gallup from Brandon Cooks in terms of volume or role, except that Gallup was able to take advantage of it last week. CeeDee Lamb should remain a top 12 dynasty receiver by the end of the season, though his floor remains slightly muted, and Tony Pollard should have a lot more ceiling weeks to come based on his volume and that touchdown regression. In Denver, I don't know, is Javante Williams good? Last week I said Javante Williams had some top 12 games coming, but not yet. While I stand by that, Samaj P. Ryan continues to be the only other running back with significant volume, especially target share, but he fell in snap share this week, 31%, and target share, 8%, last week, because Jaleel McLaughlin and other depth running backs are kind of siphoning off work from Samaj P. Ryan rather than Williams. While Williams doesn't have a stranglehold on the role, the team isn't passing inside the red zone enough just yet, and there might be more upside there moving forward. For right now, he's just a flex option, though. In Houston, the fantasy team for this season, it seems, Tankdale could last. CJ Stroud is making a case for himself as a top-tier dynasty QB, and I think we should buy into Damian Pierce. Confirmation bias is a hell of a drug, and we don't want to give into it too often. But we've been tracking this breakout since week one, and it seemed to be and it seemed to come to fruition against Jacksonville last week, where Tankdale had an amazing result. He had 19% of the team's routes in week three and now has back-to-back top 24 finishes, finishing as wide receiver seven in week three. His volume isn't top 12, but the floor looks very solid right now. And with a rookie QB making a case for himself to be the top tier option in Dynasty with back-to-back top 12 weeks, it all looks real to me. Damian Pierce finished as a top 15 running back last week and he should do more of that going forward based on his volume. And I want to buy into volume on this team right now. Brevin Jordan may be a single standout week in Houston. Despite his 17% of routes overall this season, Schultz looks primed to lose the role if Jordan can keep up the momentum. Schultz is underperforming his target share by 4% on his expected volume based on the route share, earning targets 8% less often than you'd expect as well. 
His snap share has also fallen each week in 2023. In Indianapolis, Zach Moss looks real. Indianapolis needs to figure out this Josh Downs thing, though. Alec Pierce saw a rise in routes in week three, but once again, Josh Downs did more with less and still leads in target share despite this hamstringing. Having said that, Pierce's ADOT did climb a lot in week three, while Downs continues to run shorter routes, so it might be a team scheme thing. I think their performance on earned targets justifies a change, but coaches are out winning games, and I'm obviously biased towards fantasy points. Through two weeks, Zach Moss has top three volume at the position and over 20 points each week. He's a starter and potential league winner right now. We'll have to wait to see what happens when Richardson comes back again. though. In Jacksonville, Calvin Ridley needs to find his groove again. I'm as happy to see Christian Kirk back to his old self as anyone, but I'd much prefer Chris Calvin Ridley to be back to his old self, like in week one. Ridley still leads in weighted opportunity, route percentage, and target share, so I think it's coming back. Trevor Lawrence has been struggling this season, however, and there's no point ignoring it, but hopefully these two can find their groove again moving forward. In Kansas City, Rashi Rice is still the only wide receiver I'm interested in. I'm I'm not going to dig into the wide receiver stats in Kansas City, that's just... That's that's it. The Los, for the Los Angeles Chargers, Josh Palmer once again took over when Mike Williams was unavailable. Quentin Johnson remains in a buy window, but I don't know if it's a trap yet. Keenan Allen is wide receiver one in fantasy football. I just wanted to say that. The news about Mike Williams' ACL is terrible, but there are some things to celebrate in LA. Keenan Allen is currently producing is currently proving the worth of Team Old Guy as he is the overall leader, leading scorer at the position. Still, his target share is unlikely to remain at 32% while he's only always been a high-volume receiver with a sub-10 ADOT sometimes. He hasn't finished a season with over 23% in target share for the last few years. The loss of Williams might lead some to hope that Quinton Johnson can do better. I have to insist that you understand that's not real. The fact, that he, the fact is that he should be earning targets with or without Williams around. But not all rookie seasons are created equal, so we're allowing for a later season breakout potentially already. Again, it's early in the season and some players break out all at once, but trying to balance risk and reward is my main way of playing Dynasty and there is a tightrope to walk here. Josh Palmer immediately took in the extra slack from Williams' loss in week three, something we've seen him do before, rising to an 18% target share in week three. However, that was in-game, an immediate adjustment, and Palmer has proven he can earn targets in that role before, and it tells us very little about what will happen, but it does tell us, and it doesn't suggest what we hope might happen is suddenly more likely. Donald Parnham is seriously outkicking his coverage of, with a two top six finishes on 8% of routes and 6% of targets. But when you have Justin Herbert preferring you in the red zone, that can happen. He's a shakily weekly starter, but a solid streaming option at least. For the Los Angeles Rams, Puka finally finds stability. There was much more stability for Puka this week. A poor result for some, relative to the last few weeks at least, in terms of fantasy, I'm sure. But it helps stabilize his overall trends. His volume is solid, his ADOT is low. And if he has anything like a normal t- touchdown rate, he's a top 24 receiver moving forward. Which is positive. It's positive, dang it. For Las Vegas, Michael Myers, I'm going to say it again, is kind of trending up, but barely. Austin Hooper dropped from 16% of the team's Austin Hooper dropped from 16% of the team's routes in week one to 14% in week two, and week three he didn't record a stat despite the fact he played. 
Meanwhile, Michael Gallup followed up his NFL catch in week two with his second NFL target. Still only the one catch, though. While it's not positive on the face of it, his routes did increase from 9 in week 2 to 19 in week 3. It's the right direction, at least. On a side note, Jacoby Myers is pound for pound the volume player Devontae Adams is right now. Both are over 30% in, 30% in targets and 25% of the team's overall routes. That should even out, to be honest, and Adams will stay closer to those big numbers long term, but never miss an opportunity to point out an undrafted free agent doing well, in my opinion, and I'm starting Jacoby as a top 24 wide receiver this week. In Miami, Devin A-Chain. Like, that's the note. I mean, I especially appreciate the way A-Chain didn't stop Raheem Mostart from having his own 45-point game. Needless to say, having access to players on this team in 2023 is a good idea. A-Chain has the inside track on a more stable week-to-week volume based on his draft capital and target share so far. Mostart is a borderline flex option, though, especially as long as the team is rolling this hard. It's the kind of thing I wish I'd thought about last week, and considering how high we had A-Chain ranked in the rookie draft and post-rookie draft, I probably should have. Instead, I was focused on Durham Smythe, who, while I've been interested in him since week one, took a significant step back in routes with A-Chain on the field. He had 6% last week, which is not the 20% on the season that he's been averaging. Still keeping him on my benches right now, but it looks like A-Chain is going to shake up the receiving depth chart a little bit. In Minnesota, you are way too low on Jordan Addison. Addison is having like a Jalen Waddle-esque rookie season so far. Good, impressive, and underrated for all the shiny performances from other rookies so far. Like Josh Downs, he's still overproducing his route percentage. All of Minnesota is scoring too much on their touches overall in the receiving game, and we should be a little wary of that, but I don't see him slowing down as a rookie heading into the next part of the season. Addison has seen 17% of the routes in the last two games and finished with 16 PPR points twice so far out of three games. For the New York Jets, by Brees Hall. It may be your last chance as well. He had his highest rushing share, 51%, and snap share, 49% in week three. And we saw what he could do with less in week one. He's trending up in usage as he comes back from his off-season recovery, and that should lead to more positive fantasy results, even if we don't see a quarterback change. In Philadelphia, A.J. Brown is due infinite touchdowns. Basically, also don't sleep on Swift. A.J. Brown joined Jamar Chase in the Who Needs Touchdowns to Be a Top 12 Receiver Club this week. Oh, and also, okay, Week 3 wasn't as great for DeAndre Swift as Week 2, but to be honest, how could it be? His volume is still Top 12, and Kenneth Gamewell isn't shaking that tree anytime soon. In Tampa Bay, Chris Godwin is due touchdowns as well. Whatever they have figured out about Baker Mifo to finally make him offer replacement-level passing in the NFL, it's certainly not their red zone performance. Baker's underperforming inside the 20-yard line for Chris and Chris Godwin because of his major role there should score more based on that level of volume moving forward. In Tennessee, we're officially panicking on Traylon Burks. There's always some reason why a talented player can put it together based on one snap or narrative or the other. And the team is really struggling this year. And Traylon Burks has earned over 20% of the routes in two of the three games. The volume's there. The team sucks. It's easy to make excuses. But the fact is, I think my rules, my process says he should have done something to impress by now. Again, it's only three weeks. But so far, I'm disappointed. And if you can bail out for anything like a first in value, it's time to seriously consider it based on your overall team makeup and what the trade is, obviously. 
All right, that's about it for this week. My too long didn't read report. Again, you can check out the written version on Patreon and on DLF. And I'm going to try to fit in videos before week four matchup actually happens. So, you know, try and hit me up on YouTube if you prefer it that way. And all the data is, of course, pinned to my timeline. It's a, it's a Google sheet. You click the link, takes you to the Patreon post for free. You click that link and it takes you to a Google Sheet which you can download, you can play around with, you can even filter through the teams and the table itself without even having to download or make your own copy. Um, but you can do that as well if you just want to play around with the data yourself. Uh, but let me know what you think, both of the table, anything that should be added, any stats that should be added to this week's, to this season's weekly database and how you how this podcast working out. I'm kind of liking this shorter format, just one takeaway, one or two takeaways from each team very quickly in simplified language without boring you too much to death by the actual stats or reading numbers. I think it's working. It's not a waiver wire column. It's longer term dynasty trends that we should keep an eye on to look for edges, to balance risk, and hopefully find ourselves in the right place more often than not. So far, I think we've been doing pretty well. We've been tracking Tank Dell since week one and Josh Downs and both had like one of their best weeks last week. We've been in on Jordan Addison, which I'm assuming everyone who drafted him is, but we've really been highlighting it. I really think that's going to pay off by the end of the season if his value is as muted as his current dynasty hype is. And even Puka Nakua, while I was certainly wrong on him in my rookie rank, I think we were reasonable in our expectations moving forward. We didn't buy in at the hype, and now his volume's dropped to something more stable. We can see a good player we were too low on but maybe doesn't have quite the ceiling as he did through the first two weeks. I think it's working well without trying to make too many hot takes or be too prophecy-based, just sticking to the process. But let me know what you think. I'm going to stop babbling. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. Hit me up on Twitter, at PA Howdy, or, you know, uh, anywhere you need that. It's the same thing. And uh, thanks again. Talk to you next week. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.